0: Welcome to J. Cats, a program that seeks to introduce Japanese contextualized literature and ideas for use by missionaries and anyone that seeks to share the gospel with Japanese people. Hey, welcome to J. Cats, episode two. Um, my name is John Robinson. I'm a missionary in Japan, uh, working out of uh, West Tokyo, not the city, just the general region. Uh, and yeah, happy to be back with you. Um, since uh, since episode one, I was able to uh, chat with a lot of people at the Church Planting Institute, Church Planters Institute. Uh, I want to say earlier this month in November um, in Shizuoka. So if I had a chance to talk with you there hope you're doing well. Um, have had some feedback from some friends, some new friends, and I appreciate that. Uh, and I want to just keep, uh, keep the dialogue going here. How can we um, missionaries and non-Japanese reach Japanese with the gospel. Uh, How can we share Christianity in a way that makes sense to the Japanese people, hopefully in a way that does not sound foreign to Japanese people. Uh, And uh, I think that the way that the way that I try to address that on this program is by looking at things um, written by Japanese writers, whether they be uh, academics, pastors, lay people, etc. Even perhaps um, non-Christians. Hearing from non-Christians can be interesting because I think in some ways they can be the least, maybe biased uh, about how the average Japanese person views Christianity or responds to um, Christianity. So that's uh, that's another fun thing to, to uh, work through. Um, so yeah, uh, I think last week we talked about, not last week, but last episode, we talked some about what contextualization is. And I think that's something that will continue to... Um, sort of chisel away at Uh, I think that that if you ask five people what contextualization is you might get five definitions you might have five people really committed to contextualization and the idea of making Christianity accessible to the Japanese people without... um, Compromising the uh, the truths of the gospel, I think that's, I think that's a premise that we would all have, but we still might go about it in radically or, or just in fairly different ways in in w- ways that are different enough that uh, could be uh, yeah it could be difficult, right so what I hope to present generally on this show is uh, the Japanese context, according to Japanese people, uh, is, as far as I can discern it. So stick around, we'll have a good time, I hope. Uh, a couple of housekeeping issues. So, um, the logo of the show, I just want to get out ahead of this one. If you've seen the logo either on our our YouTube or just, it's if you're listening to the podcast, you've probably seen the logo because um, that's what pops up when you search for us. If you search J-Cats on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or Anchor, I think then you'll just see our show with the logo. The logo is uh, one of those, um, sheesh, I meant to look up the definition before I started recording. That lucky cat, you know, the Japanese lucky cat waving with the koban, with the, the gold coin and i just threw a um, you know an ixus christian fish on the gold coin it's not meant to be good contextualization just want to get out in front of that it's kind of a joke that's kind of how my sense of humor runs if you think church japan christianity contextualization j cats it takes about two seconds to come up with that logo idea, and it was funny to me. And I thought, hey, that'll catch people's attention. That's really the name of the the name of the show, JCATS. Cats. The whole point is that it's easy to remember. I'm not like a cat person per se. I'd like I'd love to get a dog. My kids all want to get a dog. But anyway, J Cats Japanese contextual and theological studies. Easy to remember. Try to forget it, right? Uh, that so that's that's what the logo is. Don't don't overthink it, please. And if you do, it's fine. I don't know, whatever. It's 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 just it's just for fun. it's not an example of good contextualization. It's just kind of good humor, right? Anyway, uh, social media. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm like 40, so I grew up, uh, you know, with like DOS computers and stuff. That's my earlier memories. Great memories, you know, Oregon trails. Anyway, my point is I'm sort of on a learning curve with the different social media um, things. Tried to put up a Facebook page. I don't think it worked very well. I may try to put up a group and I'll keep you posted. I think a Facebook group would be easier than a page. Our YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com and, and uh since YouTube just started using these handles, so it's youtube.com slash at sign at j c a t s dashes between all the letters jcats. youtube.com slash at jcats with dashes between all the letters. I have an Instagram, it's jcatsjapan. Um, I haven't. I'm I'm hoping to maybe post pictures of the books that I share. So if you look up uh, Jcats Japan, all one word, on Instagram, then you know you can look at the covers of the books that I am sharing in the podcast. I'm told you can message me. I've never had any friends on Instagram before. I don't know what that is like. So Uh, If that's a way to contact me. um, jcatsjapan at gmail.com is another way to contact the show with any uh, any comments, ideas, whatever. Love to hear from listeners or viewers. Um, You probably could just comment Underneath the YouTube videos, if you're on YouTube, and apologies, I haven't f- for YouTube videos vi- for YouTube viewers. Uh, I am just I've just got my little desk lamp here, and um, I and also um, they're doing they're building houses across the street. If you picked up on that, whatever that happens, right? We're in Tokyo. They're always building houses somewhere. They're always doing construction somewhere. It's better than the business hotel that had the um, wires hanging off the wall. I'm getting sidetracked. So, Instagram, jcatsjapan, YouTube, slash, at jcats, with dashes between all the letters of jcats. I'm working on getting a Facebook group going and email jcatsjapan at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Speaking of which... And okay, so that was somebody calling my phone and it was a wrong number, apologies. I'm just gonna keep moving forward. Yeah, so I mentioned you, I'd love to hear from you. I have an email, I'd like to read a portion of it because I think to me this was both encouraging and you know I can't think of all the reasons that contextualization is really important, but I just I want to see the Japanese people um, evangelized, and I think that the the breakthrough or a large breakthrough could come hopefully when the majority of Japanese people see Japan or see Christianity not as a foreign religion, okay. Not as a foreign religion. That's the idea of trying to contextualize. I think that because the church is one percent Christian, maybe one percent of Japanese people are okay with coming at a foreign religion. Okay, it's foreign, fine, I'm good, let's do it. But we're trying to reach more than more than that, you know? So I think the less foreign it looks, the better. Again, keeping towards biblical, uh, what, um, fidelity? I don't know. Trying to stay um, in line with what Scripture says and everything. And and I don't think it's a problem. I think, you know, what we talked about last time, everybody contextualizes. We have contextually American churches in America. We have contextually. European churches in Europe, contextually, African churches in Africa. Okay, we can have contextually Japanese churches that are true to Scripture in Japan. No problem, I think. We need to be careful how we do it, maybe, um, or be careful how you know. I say how we do it, but again, I think my point is trying to find the Japanese voices that are contextualizing and following those trails okay so reader interaction Uh, listener listener interaction here's an email from um, a friend who listened to the show uh, that I made at CPI okay Uh, just reading parts of his email how true it is that there's no such thing as a non-contextualized church today We are all contextualizing the gospel into new cultural norms all the time and don't even realize it. We've only been in Japan for just over three years now, but I'm thoroughly convinced that the lack of contextualization may very well be the single biggest reason for lack of church growth here. While I love our church and also what other people are doing, local Japanese churches or bilingual slash international churches, The fact that I feel completely comfortable in them must mean that they're thoroughly American and I can only imagine for the average Japanese it feels incredibly foreign and hard to connect with. It's no wonder that a large number of Japanese Christians have had some connection with or interest in Western culture before coming to Christ. End of the uh, quote. So uh, yeah, and th- what I found interesting was in other you know uh, this particular guy has been a missionary in uh, other in another country working with a minority people within that country, okay um, and again, ran, ran into contextualization problems there, so it's something that is, uh, of interest to the missionary community around the world. Um, but I, you know, trying to take, trying to look at specifically Japanese iterations together here. Last episode, uh, we talked about what is contextualization and, and why do we need to do it? And today I wanted to look at contextualization, um, from a standpoint of communicator, message, recipient. Um, And I will be, uh, our conversation partner today is Kosuke Koyama. I'm going to be reading a lot uh, and trying to synthesize from some points he makes in his most famous work, Water Buffalo Theology. I'm showing the book on the screen in YouTube. um, And I'm pulling up his Wikipedia here because it's an easy way to introduce him. Koyama was born in Tokyo in 1929 from Christian parents. I think he mentions in his book uh, that he's like a third generation Christian. Which is, I mean, born in 1929. Third generation Christian is pretty pretty crazy uh, he did his um theological education in the states getting his phd before uh, in 1959 and was sent out as a missionary from japan from the uh the Kyodan uh japanese church association to Thailand where he was a missionary for eight years after that he was the executive director of association of theological schools in southeast asia with his office in singapore for it looks like about six years Um, he eventually went on to teach in new zealand and then in New York where he stayed until his retirement. He is considered, uh, along with Kazo Kitamori, who's another great voice that I'm looking forward to uh, go over with you guys in the future, considered one of the leading Japanese theologians of the 20th century. Now having said that, He is one of the leading Japanese theologians of the 20th century as recognized by the West because he did most of his writing in English. Um, In that sense, most Japanese uh, theologians in Japan Are not super, they're like they know about him, but they have not interacted with him much. That's uh, that's fair, that's fine. Why I think it's really useful for missionaries to interact with him or to learn from him is because even if he is not influencing Japanese theology, he shares uh a lot of insights about um how a japanese person highly theologically trained uh but with the um ability to be uh like critical in a good way i think of some of the western tradition so in other words he can decontextualize you know He grew up in Japan, he studied theology in the States, he did most of his uh, teaching career and missionary work in Asia. So he has um, a really unique perspective and he has a a number of books printed in English. So it's a great way for missionaries um, to Japan from the West to learn Um, a really good, like, posture of how to reach the Japanese. Um, I think there's, you know, there's other ways. He's not going to teach us how Japanese theologians work today in Japan, but he can teach us how to think in a way that's going to be more natural when we communicate to Japanese people. So, okay. Uh, messenger, message recipient. Okay, that's a super boring way of looking at it. I was thinking about um, silver bullets and vampires and werewolves and monster hunters. Uh, because the that's kind of along the the lines of the way my brain often runs. But uh, hopefully, I can bring that theme around to uh, the actual topic. Um, Alright, so we're going to talk about uh, stuff from water buffalo theology. And a lot of this was Kosuke Koyama, a Japanese man trained in theology in America and then working with um, Thai people who were largely Buddhist largely Buddhist. Now that's going to be a lot closer to the context of Japan, especially uh, Japan for a guy like Koyama who was born in 1929, right? So this is a a person who was a young man during World War II uh, and, and then after that was trained theologically in the States and came back was sent out missionary to um, Thailand okay I'll be citing from the 25th anniversary edition reprinted in 1999 uh, so if I give you page numbers it's going to refer to that edition that's the edition that's probably the easiest to get if you're interested in getting your own copy I really like mine so without uh, too much I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hop in okay. Uh, I'm going to read first, just like a paragraph or so here, from um, the chapter called Toward a Crucified Mind. Chapter 17, Toward a Crucified Mind. And I think this is really a major concept, just that crucified mind. Keep that in mind because we'll talk about that in the future. But specifically today, um, thinking through... Communicator, Message, Recipient. i going to start the quote. I look at missionaries. I am one of them. I find that missionary is indeed more complicated than missiology. Missiology I can tame, but missionary I cannot. That a person is made in the image of God may sound simple, but the living person who stands in front of me is a staggering anthropological, sociological, and historical complexity. Permit me to make some clumsy remarks. Missiology does not sweat, thirst, complain, cry, laugh, or practice family planning, but missionary does. Okay. Um, I wanted to, to start, in a sense, start these, these talks about contextualization. With you in mind, speaking to the missionary in Japan. Okay, and if you are not a missionary in Japan, but you are a person that wants to reach Japanese people, then with you in mind. Okay, uh, it's not, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing um, to live in a country that's not your own there's comfortable things about it and there's good things about it there's cool things about it there's fun things about it but there's lonely things about it right if you're a missionary in japan if you have left your home culture and family etc then there's uh, you know there there's things that are difficult okay uh being an eternal third grader like or or in whatever your Japanese level is, especially when thinking about reading and writing, right? It's not fun, you know? Um, remember an older missionary I spoke with who's retired now, he said, you know, you could be here 50 years and people say, oh, you're really good at using chopsticks. Right? It's true. Okay? Um, those types of things, the, the, you know, being an outsider forever, Right? Uh, not easy things, but I wanted to start with this quote God has you here in Japan. God has you Has put a desire in you to reach Japanese people Okay um, So embrace it It's wonderful It's not easy Um, but God wants to use you as part of this great thing looking again at water buffalo theology page 157 jumping forward a few pages God uses people in all their complexity God lets a person participate in God's purpose in history God does this in the midst of historical and human complexity God's love, agape, expresses itself not as a general philosophical principle of the world but concretely and historically in the confusion of complexity. God calls people and lets them participate in God's purpose. End quote. So, God has you with all of your quirks that make you who you are you know I just uh, shared a few of mine when I mentioned I wanted to talk about vampires and werewolves and silver bullets and monster hunters right that's kind of kind of weird but God has me here for a reason God has allowed me to participate in God's purpose in Japan in 2022 and you know for whatever and you too okay so while we talk about all the things that we need to decontextualize about ourselves and our the way we think and all the things we need to do contextualize please understand that this isn't this isn't meant to be critical this is uh meant to help us to do the job that God is giving us to do as people who want to reach the Japanese. So, be please, you know, be uh, encouraged that you're doing what God wants you to do, and hopefully, some of the contextualization issues we talk about uh, are helpful to you in getting there. Okay, um, so, yeah, I talked about, um, so, so, uh, like, why, why werewolves and why, why vampires and why silver bullets is, uh, what I want to go over today is that there are no silver bullets in reaching the Japanese, right, um, If there was a foolproof method, then maybe the church would already be above 1%. Um, We talk about uh, sharing the Word of God and how the Word of God is uh, living and active. It will not come back void, right? True true right um, but but ha- just sharing the gospel and just even even a contextualized gospel um, is not a silver bullet why? because missions in Japan is not about killing vampires with silver bullets missionaries are not monster hunters all right hopefully we can make that make sense okay Uh, because where i'm going with that is that it, it connects with these ideas from koyama that uh ism and ist are two wildly different things theory and practice Buddhism, Buddhist, missionary, mythology theology, God, okay? Um, and that's why it's important for you that you're, you' you you see the value that God has put in putting you, specifically in japan because it's not just about a missionary bringing theology to a or 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 missions and theology and other religions connecting it's people and god and other people and specifically you the specific person is you okay uh gonna move to a quote here that I think uh, can hopefully, yeah, uh, from page 93. For eight years I lived in Thailand, a land of Theravada Buddhism. When I first went to Thailand, I had a rather negative view of Buddhism there. As my relationship with Buddhist friends increased, and my daily language comprehension grew, I came to realize that what really matters is not a set of doctrines called Buddhism, but people who live according to the doctrine of the Buddha. Or I should say, who are trying to live according to the doctrine of the Buddha. Accordingly, my interest shifted from Buddhism to Buddhist people. Soon I found that the study of Ist is far more interesting and exciting than the study of Ism. So... What he found, you know, is that another point he, he says is, you know, uh, let's see, wait, he's got this thing right here. Uh, I realized that the difference between library Buddhism and street Buddhists. My library Buddhism was paralyzed. Library Buddhism and street Buddhists are, of course, related. In fact, I felt quite often that the street Buddhist should study more about library Buddhism. You know, when we come to Japan, there are... We, we know that we're talking to Shinto Buddhists, but maybe the people we're talking to don't know that they're Shinto Buddhists. You know what I mean? They're just Japanese. If you study Shinto a little bit, you might have more book knowledge about it than the average Japanese person. Uh, but that's what I mean when I say there's no silver bullets, because maybe you can study the Bible and you can figure out why christianity is better than shinto right you can monster hunter that werewolf with the silver bullet but that's not what that's not like reality right we're trying to share with people and we can't just say oh shinto buddhist okay boom you know like it's good to have um it's good to have knowledge. It's good to have a really solid um, framework, but eventually, it's about you know you connecting people with God in a way that they can understand. So that's why we need to understand the way they the, the way that they understand, so that we can introduce them to God. But everybody's different. You're different, and the people the Japanese people that you interact with are different from each other. Okay. Um, and also, cultures and philosophies morph, and change, and evolve. Um, so, if I pull out, you know, something that was written in, in 1944, uh, we can't just use it as is, right? We're not going to just use it as is. If I if I want to bring up Kanzo Murda, we're not just going to do, you know. 1920s Mukyokai because it's Japanese because cultures morph and change and evolve um, but we can learn you know clues about how Japanese people think differently than we do by looking at some old sources right but still it's not a, it's not a silver bullet um, because uh we're not we're not um it's not it's not library buddhism right it's street buddhism in in koyama's words uh so we're talking about um messenger message recipient um i think hopefully i've I've talked a little bit about recipient right the people we're um speaking with everyday japanese people they're going to have different levels of of knowledge and, you know, heart interaction with Buddhism with Shintoism. And then even just the Aristotelian philosophical framework that is dominant in the West and perhaps Confucianist theological framework that is dominant in the East. I don't even honestly, I don't even want to get into that because I don't understand it well enough to speak intelligently on it, but that's a clear difference so there's just so many ways like the way that my western brain is wired and the way that an eastern person's brain is wired is worth pausing and um yeah decontextualizing where possible and that's why i like to listen to these japanese voices because i think that they do it naturally they do it naturally Uh, without doing that we have some warnings Uh, From Water Buffalo Theology, page 153. One day some years ago, I met a missionary couple from the West at the Bangkok airport. They had just arrived. They expressed the view that Thai Buddhism is a manifestation of demons. How simple! 30 million people in the Buddhist tradition of 700 years were brushed aside in one second. So, for Koyama you know, he has a case of seeing the ism rather than the ist, right? Uh, These people are seeing Buddhism instead of seeing the people of Thailand who happen to be Buddhists. Okay, I wanted to continue on a quote I went with earlier from the... uh, Toward a crucified mind, if you remember that quote ended in, Missiology does not sweat, thirst, complain, cry, laugh, or practice family planning, but missionary does. Continuing the quote, She is a full person, whether she likes it or not. I am sorry that I did not realize this simple distinction much earlier. I should say, to be more precise, that I am sorry that I have not personally appropriated and experienced in my whole existence this simple distinction and what it means. If I had, it would have contributed greatly to my manner of appreciating other persons when I came to meet them. It is perhaps possible, what a dreadful thought, that the study of theology blinded me in this respect. Has not theology inflated my language and thought? Has this inflation kept me from real contact with people? Truly, theology is more manageable than God. Wifeology is more tranquil than any wife. And uh, you know, he ends his, ends his quote there. I think that that's something, you know, when we, we, when we think we have the answers... Uh, we can really get off track when I first came to Japan me speaking of myself not not koyama hair when I first came to Japan as a missionary uh, 2007 was you know not so far removed from bible college I went to a very conservative bible college I assumed um, that because of my time in Bible college. I wasn't likely to be in theological waters that were too deep for me to kind of hang with other people in Japan. I've been told, "Oh, your degree in, in the states, your four-year degree, that's kind of the same level as what Japanese pastors have." So, oh, you know, no problem. Feeling very confident here. Um But the truth is, there's just so much more to reaching Japanese people. Um, And so that's something that, you know, I've really enjoyed looking at these ideas um, from writers. Here's what I think, guys. I think there's probably a handful, maybe four, maybe five, uh, if you wanted to boil it down, uh, ideas. That we can learn from Japanese writers that are significant differences in the way that Japanese people would think about the gospel, from the way that Westerners would tell about the gospel. Um, and those are ideas that i'm I'm still working through in my own um my own studies and some ideas that I look forward to sharing as I feel confidently able to tell about them. Today, what I really wanted to talk about was just posture. The posture of the missionary is important in how to reach the Japanese. Um, We can't come thinking we have the silver bullet to solve the problem. Part of that is because we're not—we shouldn't look at the culture in a way that sort of objectifies the culture as well. Non-Christian, gospel, Christian—kind of like we're the good guys and we're going to accomplish something. Um, I read a thing, and it's—it's from—it's uh, from this one. No, 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 no. It's from this one it's from this book A History of Japanese Theology edited by Yasuo Furia. hilarious quote I mentioned it I thought you know hey I can hang with these guys I have my Bible degree from California there's a quote in there in the book that says something to the effect that back in the early part of the 20th century Japanese theologians largely just when they wanted to get better trained. They just went straight to Europe. They they skipped America because they thought of America as intellectually, theologically, intellectually a uh, boring place. And here I am reading this book saying that thinking, you know. And here I was as a new missionary thinking, "Oh, I'm, nobody's going to outclass me theologically." Right? 4 years of undergrad. Um but sheesh, I was wrong. Anyway, uh, recipient, right? Recipient, message, messenger. I'm doing it backwards. Messenger, message, recipient. No silver bullets. People are people. You're gonna have different people have different thoughts. You can't. We, we're not. We can't create a perfect contextualized theology. It'll work for some people. It'll mean need to be adjusted for other people, but I think it's better than not contextualizing at all. Um, a practical example. I've already probably gone on too long, and I hope, I hope I haven't lost a lot of you by how boring this is. Okay. Um, an example from Koyama's work, and then from my own life in Japan. Okay. Uh, looking at chapter five of water buffalo theology it's called bangkok and wittenberg and most of this chapter koyama is explaining how uh he came to this like just was floored by martin luther's explanation of a passage it's the passage in the new testament where um, a Gentile woman asks Jesus to save her daughter. And I believe, I think it's talking about, let's see, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. And Jesus replies, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, and Koyama had heard an explanation in his studies from Luther Uh, and it really really resonated with him according to Luther this Canaanite woman was chosen to taste the foreshadowing of the assault which Christ himself later experienced on the cross when he cried my God my God why hast thou forsaken me And that was really, really powerful for Koyama. He goes on to say, So I introduced Luther's Theology of Assault to my Thai Christians. And I talked about doubt, turmoil, pangs, tremor, panic, despair, desolation, and desperation. Coupled with my language limitation, the result was disastrous my audience went home with the impression that some kind of neurosis constitutes the vital part of the Christian faith. Um, He goes on to share that uh, he went home discouraged, but then he began to think about it um, in a way maybe that was more, hopefully, including the perspective of the Thai people. And I think he went on to dialogue with people and hear how the um, story resonated with them. And it wasn't about, sadly, Luther's theology of assault. And um, why I bring that up is I have a sort of similar... Similar um, thing. So, in my own personal Christian theological journey, I came across Michael Reeves' book, "Delighting in the Trinity." For me, it is the most uh, profound. I don't know. Most most uh, edifying. Book I've read outside of the Bible. The most life-changing book I've read outside of the Bible for me, personally. I read it, and I like it so much that I was trying to share uh, the way that Reeves explained the Trinity. I had, I had a three, a three-message series that I did. Uh, sermon series at my previous church trying to share this stuff that just I had just learned it just meant so much to me and you know I don't it wasn't really connecting with people Uh, after the third message one of the church guys came up to me and asked me if I'd given the same message that I had given the previous time I was like well no that that was part three the last time was part two it wasn't the same message but what I you know have come to realize is the message was so meaningful to me it made sense to me but that doesn't mean it's going to make sense to people here um I think that's something that we do we we, you know we just love something and that's good we really it's great that we can connect with any kind of biblically based theology and and see God greater, but doesn't mean that everything that works for us is going to work for other people. So, you know, I was I I, I spoke I had spoken with a friend who who translates Christian books in the Japanese said, so, Hey, your next one delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves. Got to do it. Got to do it. Take it to the bank. It's going to be good. Trust me. I say a couple times. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. You know. Um, has not been translated into Japanese. And now I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it's the highest priority really anymore. Having um, looked at these ideas with Koyama, I think it's real similar. You know, something that was really meaningful to me. A person from culture A is not going to be necessarily really, it's just not going to work the same way. And I think that's kind of a, an advisory for us, as we, you know, there are a lot of um, theological ideas that we try to bring over packaged sonomama just the way it is. To Japan. And I just don't think that those are contributing to Japanese people in general growing in their faith and the idea of Christianity being non foreign. I think that they contribute to the idea that, that Christianity is foreign. I think that they work for maybe that 1% of people that are okay with that. But, uh, yeah, I've since stopped trying to explain to Japanese people exactly why Michael Reeves' book, Delighting the Trinity, works so well for me, and it should also work for them. But I have been learning a lot from voices like uh, Kosuke Koyama, Kazuki Kitamori, who we can talk about on a future episode, Excited about that um, and others. Uh, again, a lot of the books behind me, some of the books in front of me here, are about Japan, about uh, theologians. And I'd like to hear from you guys. Uh, what do you think about um, some of these thoughts? Again, if they were just too off, too jumbled, what I was hoping to go over today was. Um, the posture of the missionary, yeah uh, there's no there's no silver bullets because we're we're looking at people and good news is God has us. Um, it's not just message carrier a gospel recipient B it's you and it's God and it's your friends the people specific people that God puts in front of you. So hopefully we can figure out um what makes them what 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 they respond to and share that. Uh wanna finish up with a quote or two. Um Okay. So going back to Chapter, we're going back to chapter 17, Toward a Crucified Mind. I think we are. Let's see. Yeah. Toward a Crucified Mind. Water Buffalo Theology. If you're in the 25th anniversary, we're on page 158. This chapter is called Toward a Crucified Mind, not the Crusading Mind. When I meet missionaries from the West in the varieties of localities in Southeast Asia, what I call the Johannine Principle. He must increase but I must decrease comes to mind. Uh, John the Baptist introduced Jesus in these moving terms. Jesus must increase. Missionaries must decrease if their decrease Points to the increase of Jesus Christ. Increase of Jesus Christ? Yes. Increase of Jesus Christ in the given Southeast Asian locality. Okay. Um, And again, I think for him, the context is Southeast Asian. For us, the context is Japan uh from page 154 of the same book love is the mind that tries to understand specific needs of this man and that woman this community and that community that god is love is not a general statement applicable to the general overall situation god is specifically love and uh finally the mind is neither neurotic nor unbalanced it is a mind of self-denial based on the self-denial of Christ and that's talking about the idea of the crucified mind which, by the way the idea of the crucified mind which comes up in Koyama's writings and it comes up in Kitamori's writings based on uh, his understanding of Luther And I think that that idea of the crucified mind is one of the major keys or core principles for Westerners to embrace, to reach Japan. That's for a future episode. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. And uh, catch you later.